you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks presented by the Ford F-Series. DJ Bucky here on our recap show, 10 Takeaways. Buck, we got a lot to jump into tonight. Yeah, it's all crazy. I mean, we had a great Sunday, a lot of good games, a lot of competitive games. We saw some teams emerge. They were kind of surprises. And we also saw some young players kind of take a step forward in their development. I know you had a busy day. Did our game day live show with Rhett Lewis, three and a half hours of fun. But that wasn't enough football for you, my friend, because you had to get out there and see a little bit of Chargers and Chiefs. And I want to hit you up on, on what you saw out there on that field at the StubHub. But before we get there, why don't we start off here with the Sunday night contest? And one of the takeaways here for me, look, a game completely dominated by the Washington Redskins over the Oakland Raiders. Oakland 0 for 11 on third down. Could get nothing going. Uh, man, it just no offense. Dominated on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But my big takeaway, my number one takeaway, was start this thing off with Cousins versus Carr. A quarterback that's already got that long-term contract, got the big money, versus Cousins, who's been playing on these one-year franchise tags. Buck, I know it's just one game, but on the same field, I thought tonight Cousins was the better quarterback. Cousins absolutely was the superior quarterback. Did a great job of being efficient and effective, working all areas of the field. And what I like about what the Redskins have done the last couple of weeks, because I got a chance to see them firsthand last week against the Rams, they are working the middle of the field, and they're working the guys that have better mismatches. So rather than working outside like Cousins has previously done when he had Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson at his disposal, he has changed his game. They're working the tight ends, the running back, and the slot receivers. Vernon Davis, Jamison Crowder, Chris Thompson were all the biggest beneficiaries of his passes. And because of that, the Redskins' offense is beginning to roll. And even though they didn't have necessarily an overpowering run game, it's just enough balance to allow Kirk Cousins to kind of slice you up in a paper cut kind of fashion. No question. No Jordan Reed tonight either. So when you look at the weapons he had last year versus what he was rolling with tonight, uh, a little different ball game. Nice to see Josh Doxson connect on a big one down the field, get a 52-yard touchdown. Um, but that was his only catch on the night. And I really got to say, man, it, this is a side note. Great night for the Redskins, but 
Terrell Pryor, do you think he plays to his size, Buck? I, I tweeted it out, man. For a, for a big guy, he does not know how to wall guys off and keep people on his back and, and make a contested catch. I, little, I thought he'd be a little bit better, and maybe this will come along here as he gets more comfortable at the position in this new offense with a new quarterback. But, man, he's got to be a little bit better than he was tonight. A little bit. I, th- I think it's one of those things where you have to remember that he's still kind of growing into the position. A guy that just made a conversion probably about a year and a half ago, so he's still trying to settle in and learn how to play the position the right way. That's kind of one of those uh, big-body playmakers on the outside. But it's something that he can definitely improve upon. He can definitely grow. And I think eventually he'll get to that place. He just needs more time, more reps to kind of find his way as that kind of playmaker. How impressive! Yeah, I, I, I thought the the Redskins' defensive front tonight was big. I mean, the, the Oakland Raiders. We talk about their offensive line and how good they are. Man, the Redskins got after him. They didn't have to send a lot of bodies. But Ryan Kerrigan, he's on my all underrated team. I mean, he has been so good for so long. Had a sack, three tackles for loss tonight. Just a disruptive player, an all around player. Run pass. Uh, I think he's outstanding. That- that's exactly what I was about to ask you guys. How impressive was that front seven? I think they brought up in the broadcast um, that the Raiders only gave up or didn't give up a double-digit sack game all last year, and they, they, they had uh, uh, gave up four tonight. So that, that's definitely impressive. Um, I think the big thing with the Redskins defense, uh, and talking to Greg Minuski after the game last week, I went to the Rams game, I had a chance to bump into him. He just talked about getting those guys on the same page. Uh, when you saw the Redskins tonight, like you saw them play off a little bit, but they were able to generate pressure with just that front four. Didn't have to do a lot of unnecessary blitzing. They were able to kind of dominate what we say is probably one of the top three offensive lines in football. They had their way. Ryan Kerrigan leading the way, but Preston Smith also was a factor. Um, when I look at this Redskins defense, I feel like they're kind of coming into their own. And as long as the offense can continue to not turn the ball over and put the defense in kind of a bad spot, man, the Redskins may be one of those teams that we kind of overlooked in the preseason because we just didn't think that they would have enough weapons uh, to really compete from an offensive standpoint. Well, let's uh, let's stay there in the division there, NFC East for the second takeaway. Eagles, Giants, man, it really kind of uh... – Two different games. Eagles dominating this game for a long time, and then the Giants got hot, came roaring back, uh, courtesy of some uh, some poor play there by the Eagles, turnover by Zach Ertz, and and the the coming. I think we had a penalty there on Malcolm Jenkins down the field as well. But uh, really, two different games there. The Eagles end up kicking a 61 yarder at the end, uh, Elliott with a monster kick. But a couple takeaways in this game, Buck. Number one, out the Philadelphia Eagles found a little bit of a running game, and that's something they had to do. I thought Garrett Blunt ran hard. Um, I thought Clement getting a chance to get some carries did a nice job. Uh, and Smallwood it ran well. So it was a collection of backs, but I thought overall the Eagles finding a run game was a big takeaway for them. Yeah, I think that's a huge takeaway. Um, and a lot of times we judge running games by yards, but I'm more impressed with the attempts. So I'm counting them up now, 12, 24, 30, 39. 36, 39 rushing attempts. 31 passes from Carson Wentz. That's kind of that 50-50 balance that you're looking for because no matter how impressed we are with Carson Wentz as a young quarterback, you don't want to put it all on his shoulders. You want to be able to balance it out, run the ball so you can dictate the turns when it comes to the coverage that he will face. By running the football effectively, they're able to get better one-on-one matchups and their receivers, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Torrey Smith, they have proven that they can win against those one-on-ones. You saw an effective Kirk Cousins play a complimentary role because the running game was kind of rolling. And then, how about this nugget? I had 
thought when I was watching this game, man, I was surprised. We were talking about it on the air that the, that the Eagles weren't able to get home with their pass rush. No sacks in this game against the Giants and an offensive line that has just been terrible. Um, I thought, okay, let me do some digging on this. So I had uh, had our guy Ethan get some of those next-gen stats, and I reached out to him and said, okay, what, what was the time uh, to throw there? for Eli Manning in this game. Average time to throw in this game was two seconds even. Week one was 2.89. Week two, 2.61. So significantly lower. And in terms of the percentage of quick passes for Eli Manning, week one, 26%, uh, 26.3 to be exact. Week two, 50%. In this game, Bucky, week three against the Eagles, 78.7% of Eli Manning's passes were the quick game. I mean, this was slant hitch city out here. Three steps and get it out. Well, you know, uh, DJ, and looking back to how he played uh, at his best under Ben McAdoo a couple years ago, it was because it was all quick game. It was all slants, some form of stick, and hitches. Get the ball out and let those playmakers work. The issues typically come when people want to take that away. They can walk up and press. But we saw against the Philadelphia Eagles with Odell Beckham Jr. on the outside. If you walk up and press, he can make you pay. They hit a couple plays to Odell. Once they hit Odell, it opened up the rest of the field for the rest of the Giants. And so my takeaway from this for the Giants is Odell Beckham Jr. is basically a one-man show on offense. He is the table setter, and everyone else eats off his plate. So it's important for them to establish him to allow the rest of the players to be contributors. I agree with you completely on that one. One of the takeaways as well before we move on to number three here, Buck, what do you think about this? I was talking to somebody about this game, and they brought up a great point. Uh, mentioned this this stat and this information, and he said, well, you know what? When you play the Giants now, they're, I mean, Odell Beckham will just eat you up on slants. He said, you're almost better off when they're getting the ball out that quick. Just tell your ends. I mean, just forget it. Just just read the quarterback, time your jump, and try, try and get a hand on that thing. You're much better off trying to pop a couple of those balls up in the air than trying to get home when they're getting the ball out like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things that is kind of crazy. Um, I'm looking at the next-gen stats because now if you go to the NFL.com page on the Game Center, if you click the tab, next-gen stats, it's right there, and it's available for you. And I'm looking at Eli's performance. Uh, You talk about the quick game. Uh, He was 7 for 11 on passes under 10 yards uh, going to the left, 3 for 7 over the middle, but 11 for 13 on the right. I mean, if you add that up, that is a significant amount. That's 31 pass attempts that are thrown <laughs> 10 yards or fewer, and that even doesn't include the at-the-line-of-scrimmage throws. Basically, they nickel and dime the Philadelphia Eagles the entire game. But what you saw they was a more a more efficient performance. So smart on their point. Maybe they found their stride, even though they're on three. But offensively, they played a little better today. All right, how about the quarterback battle? This is takeaway number three. I thought it was a great game. Houston and New England. We mentioned the fact during the broadcast that no rookie quarterback has gone into into Foxborough and, and beat a Bill Belichick coach team. And man, I'll tell you what, Deshaun Deshaun Watson went after a Bill Belichick protege and Nick Saban and, and got him last year in the national championship game and he almost took down the king in this one. He absolutely um played well. Uh and it was really a surprise because you thought they were complicated, make it very, very difficult for him to find open lanes and open windows. But my takeaway from uh, Deshaun Watson performance kind of comes down to the three P's, his poise, his playmaking, his production. He was very poised and composed when they started bringing heat at him. He didn't necessarily flee the pocket before it was time, but when he did, when he was fleeing the pocket, 
he was able to make plays, be it with his feet, be it with impromptu scramble tosses. He was able to be very productive. And when you think about a rookie quarterback having a 300-yard game, I know he had two interceptions, but 22 for 33, I think you'll take that all day long. This is something that the Houston Texans have not been able to get from the position in the past. They are upgraded because the rookie quarterback might be the real deal uh, even sooner than we thought he would be. No, he was great. And, and to me, the movement stuff was outstanding. But, man, you hit it, Buck. The poise in the pocket, uh, that was what got me jacked up and fired up about him. Throwing balls in the middle of the field. There's a couple boo-boos in there as well. Uh, I got to hold on to the football. But I thought uh, overall it was an impressive performance by Watson. Unfortunately for him, yeah, he had the goat on the other side today. And the first game of the season, Tom Brady comes out, and he struggles 16 to 36 against Kansas City. The whole, he's 40, and they've got no Edelman. And I don't know if this team and Tom Brady can get this done, and so many new faces, and how long is it going to take? Well, ho hum. His last two games, eight touchdowns, no picks, 70, almost 77% completion rate against the Saints, 71.4 in this one, averaging over 10 yards uh, a pass here in both of those last two games. I mean, he's been on fire. I mean, he's been on fire. He, he continues to be the GOAT. He has continued to find a way to be very, very effective and productive. And even though the Houston Texans did a good job of getting around him and making him uncomfortable at times, he continues to find a way to be productive i think the interesting thing when i look at his next gen stats tom brady has a tail dj when i'm looking at this okay 10 of 12 so he's 14 of 18 16 of 21 16 of 21 on passes to his left so of his 35 complete attempts 21 of those went to the left side i think you might want to start shading to the left because that's where the ball is going. And I don't know if that's where Brandon Cooks a lot of Brandon or Cooks balls today. Rob Gronkowski are lining up, but a lot of the balls are going to the left-hand portion of the field. Just something that you have to be aware of. Yeah, it was, a, it was a masterful performance by Tom Brady. One other thing for the Texans, though, before we move on to another game, Jadavion Clowney, when healthy, is a bad, bad dude. Six tackles two sacks, four tackles for loss, and oh yeah, just get yourself a touchdown as well. Uh, he was he was outstanding on the fumble return, caught it up in the air, and then uh, gave you a little Gronk spike there, a little added uh, bonus. But I thought this was one of the few times where we've seen together healthy on the field at the same time, Clowney and Watt, and Watt had three tackles for loss as well. Uh, those guys were both very disruptive. Yeah, they're very disruptive. This is what uh, the Houston Texans dreamed of when they could get all of those guys healthy and in the lineup at the same time. Jadavian Clowney playing alongside J.J. Watt, who also has the ability to play alongside Whitney Merkulis. When they're able to, like, be on the field and get after it, they can make disruptive plays. And I think it's also a lesson for all of the evaluators, those who are working with the team and those who are not, to understand there's a reason why you give top picks three and four years to come into their own. For so many of us, we want to quickly put the B label on him to say that Javian Clowney was a bust. I think he has shown over the last year and a half, he was worthy of being the number one overall pick based on his athleticism and talent. Now we're beginning to see his game refined to the point where he's making those impact plays that many of us expected when he was the number one overall pick. All right, let's jump to the game you were at today, Kansas City and the Chargers. I just scribbled down here, Kareem Hunt, Rookie of the Year. We might as well just go ahead and give him the trophy. But uh, what were your big takeaways in this one, Buck, seeing it live? 
the Kansas City Chiefs have put the perfect offense around Alex Smith. Alex Smith is a guy that came out of a spread offense in Utah. He has always preferred to run an offense that had some similar concepts to the spread. And I think what Kansas City has done is basically created a hyper version of the spread at the NFL label, at the NFL level. Kareem Hunt does a great job running out the shotgun. We saw 17 carries, 172 yards. Big plays from him. Tyreek Hill, five catches, 77 yards. Explosive playmaker, can push it down the field. Because he is able to make plays, Alex Smith is more comfortable pushing it down the field. And Travis Kelsey, even though he was a non-factor in this game, the fact that they have a three-headed monster on offense that can deliver big plays has helped Alex Smith grow into their franchise quarterback that we thought. He has won a lot of games, but what we're seeing this year is a guy that is really in command of that offense. All right, tell me if I'm crazy on this one because didn't see all of this game. I saw a good portion of it on TV when I got home after the show. Um, but, Buck, I know I know this is a game they lose 24-10. to 10. It's not a winning effort for the Chargers, but just from what I saw of this game, Am I, am I crazy? Melvin Ingram looked like the best football player on the field out there. He was everywhere for the Chargers. I mean, he was outstanding. He was outstanding. He and Joey Bosa are going to be a nightmare for people to have to contend with because both of those guys can rush. They can bring uh, pressure with speed. They can bring it with power. They can get to the quarterback in a variety of different ways. And they're going to make it tough for you to be able to really sit in the pocket and attack them. So I like this defense. I like where it's trending. I know they lost Verrett, uh, their top corner, uh, a few days ago to an injury, but I still like the way that they're playing. It hasn't translated to wins, but it's only a matter of time before you see them get onto a roll. Yeah, he had three sacks, Ingram did, and he was just all over the field. The speed, the effort, the ability to bend and finish uh, just got after Kelsey a couple times when he was lined up over him. So maybe that's one of the reasons why Kelsey's production was down, having to worry about uh, uh, dealing with Mr. Ingram, who was in absolute terror on the outside. But Alex Smith, for the Chiefs. Alex Smith, 2.22 seconds uh, to throw, one of the lower lower times in the, in the across the league on Sunday. Yeah, he's, he's efficient. That's his game. Protect the football, which he did. No interceptions. Clean sheet. Only threw for 155 yards. Didn't need him to do much more than that. Uh, a complete team win there for the Chiefs. Sorry, Buck. Stephon Diggs, Minnesota Vikings. This was a fun game to watch when you look at them going up against the Bucks. Got a little chippy with both receivers and DBs, both sides of the ball there. Uh, competitive battle. But, man, I thought I wrote down takeaways. Stephon Diggs, when healthy on the football field, is a true number one wide receiver. He, he was outstanding. Absolutely. He is a legitimate dude. And I think um, part of the reason – he kind of fell through the cracks. He had some injuries at the University of Maryland. But watching him coming out of high school, he was a guy that was rated ahead of Amari Cooper as one of the top wide receiver prospects um, when he came out in his recruiting class. He has continued to show that he is a playmaker that has the ability to run routes. He took about eight catches, 173 yards, two touchdowns, and he did it really in impressive fashion. He is someone in this offense, as this offense has changed under Pat Shermer, they're finding ways to get him the ball. And I think as they continue to add balance with Dalvin Cook almost getting 100 yards, you're seeing the potential of this offense because we saw Case Keenan throw for almost 400 yards, 369 yards, three touchdowns. When Sam Bradford gets back, we know how he takes care of the ball. We know how accurate he is. This Minnesota Vikings team is a dangerous team to watch. The AFC North is shaping up to be a very, very competitive division this year. All right, here's another takeaway from this game. Remember we were doing the show today, 
And uh, I said, man, it seems like Deshaun Jackson is working more in the middle of the field than he has in years past. Remember we were talking about that? Yep. All right. How about some numbers to uh, to prove our little theory here? This year, actually, let's go in, in the in the previous year, last year, Deshaun Jackson saw 1.4 targets per game in the middle third of the field. This year, 2.5 targets per game so far uh, at the start of the season. So, yeah, it's it's not a I mean, it's not a huge strike, but darn near double uh, getting the ball in the middle of the field. I don't know if that's a great strategy long term in terms of him holding up, but man, they're they're using him, and we call it scouting. Uh, had a buddy in scouting that called it the blood area. <laughs> working in the middle of the field, they get a little bloody in there now. Uh, that, a little dirty work inside, but Deshaun Jackson, he's, he's filling that role for him. He is filling that role for the Redskins. You would see him occasionally going there and run digs and some end breaking routes, uh, some deep crosses, deep overs. But it seems like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are really featuring him on those deep square ends where he can utilize his speed and run away from the coverage breaking in. The thing is, with a slight frame, you have to make sure that the quarterback doesn't lead him into harm's way so he doesn't take a big shot from the safety. But they are finding ways to maximize his talent by really utilizing his speed, put him in a a situation where he can catch the ball. And I know Mike Evans was a little frustrated today, maybe because he didn't get enough touches. But it's a balanced offense. I think you have two number ones. This is an offense that should be able to roll. They have to just do a better job of coming out ready to play and really hit the ground running when the game starts. All right, takeaway number six. I wrote down here the Bears beat up the Steelers. And, man, they won the physical battle. And went to get some numbers on this one to, to kind of support the argument. How about this little diddle ditty I got here for you, Buck? You got the uh, average yards gained before a defender closes in. Okay, they, they keep stats for everything. This is I reached out to our guy and said, hey, it looked like the Bears with Kyle Long back in there offensive line-wise was creating some movement, opened up that running game, they got it cranking. And, and sure enough, here you go, week one, Average yards before contact with a defender or defender closed in for the Bears. Week one, negative .38. So they're, they're behind the line of scrimmage. Week two, negative 1.57. Everybody's in the backfield. And then week three in this game against the Steelers, plus 2.40 before they came in contact with a defender, which was the second best of any offensive line in any week so far this season, right behind the Chiefs in that week one game they had over the uh, over the Patriots. So an outstanding performance. Offensive line was a little different with Kyle Long in there, and they've got a couple backs, and they got them rolling in this one. Yeah, they absolutely got the run game rolling. They were physical at the point of attack. Uh, Mike Glennon didn't have a lot of success in terms of throwing the ball, but he was efficient. Can you, can you break down the one play we were, we were laughing about, by the way, please? Real quick. <laughs> Where Mike Glennon couldn't get the stretch handoff? Couldn't get there, man. He, could, he couldn't get there. So get they, were, there, they were basically running the outside zone, which is uh, a play where the running back is lined up in a dot position right behind the quarterback. He is directed to run towards the outside leg of the tackle. The quarterback is to take the handoff, and he, he's supposed to race over and kind of meet him it. at the mesh point. Mike Glennon could not get to the mesh point. As a result, he had to keep it. But it was funny to watch. It really shows the lack of athleticism <laughs> and explosiveness that the big fella has. No, it was. Uh, I got a good laugh out of that. But man, Jordan Howard, twenty-three for a buck, thirty-eight, two touchdowns. Cohen popped a long run. He had a thirty-six-yard run uh, to part of his seventy-eight yards rushing. And uh, man, they they still have no receivers, Buck. I mean, you throw the ball five. <laughs> Five catches for Howard, five, four catches for Cohen, Benny Cunningham with three catches. Those are all running backs. Uh, then you got Zach Miller with one. Then they had Shaheen with one. Buck, unless I'm reading this wrong, I think Deontay Thompson 
there's one ball caught by a bear wide receiver in this game, unless I'm reading that wrong. One catch. They won a game with one catch by a bear wide receiver. How about that? I mean, that's the way to utilize your personnel. I mean, three running backs with catches, tied in with one. Uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of crazy to watch, but it worked for them. And their defense is underrated. Their defense has been playing pretty well oh, yeah. for most of the season. Game. They're beginning to hit people and knock people around, and now you're getting the complimentary football from the offensive side. And Tariq Cohen, um, I know you're always excited about him. 78 yards on the ground, another 24 as a receiver. That's the kind of production that you can win with. Their running backs amass so much of their scrimmage yards that the Bears are doing in a throwback fashion. Kind of reminds me of the days of Walter Payton and Matt Suey. They just oh, yeah. everything is going through the running backs, and the other guys are just compliments to what they are in the backfield. I did, I did overstep it though. Okay, I, they weren't technically in the game against the Bucks. That was a beatdown, but they were competitive with the Falcons <laughs> Week One, and they were very competitive in, in a good win for them over the Steelers in this one. All right, number seven, but keep the train moving here. I guess maybe the airplane moving. Uh, Jags. I wrote down Jags love London. I believe that's the third straight win they've had over there. And talking to somebody in the league tonight, he brought up a great question and just said, man, uh, he was telling, talking about how a team had, had gone over there and how it's, it's an adjustment. If you haven't done it before, if your team hasn't done it before, it, it's almost treated like a vacation and you're sightseeing and this, that, and the other. He said the Jags have this thing dialed in. They, they've experimented with different things. They know how to do it. I think they go over there on a Friday. They treat it just like it's a West Coast trip. So they're familiar with everything, and man, it's it's probably more of a home field advantage than anybody else would have at their own stadium because this is a total different experience, and it's old hat for the Jags, and you can't argue with the results. No, you can't. They definitely have it down. They do a great job of preparing for those games, and it is a huge home field advantage for them. Uh, their record speaks for itself. The way they play over there kind of speaks for itself. I think the Jaguars have stumbled into a nice recipe for getting wins in the international series. The thing will be uh, for the Jags, can they bring that recipe back home? Can they find a way to really own their stadium and win those games at home? Because if they can win that, that is the easiest way to become a playoff contender, win all your home games. Let's see if they can continue to do it. And by the way, I've dusted off my, my Dante Fowler report that I was hiding uh, from everybody. Oh, now it's back? Oh, yeah, it's back. I, I had to get that thing out from underneath the bed, dust it off a little bit, put it back <laughs> on the shelf. Uh, he's playing good. He's playing, having a good year so far. Blake Bortles, I mean, I think we, we can't bury the lead here. we got to give him some love, Buck. Uh, he was great. Four touchdowns, no picks, some tight window throws, and they found something in the tight end. I mean, Mercedes Lewis had three touchdowns in the previous three years. He goes with a hat trick in this one against the Ravens. Oh, no, Blake Bortles played uh, great, and I think the play callers did a really good job of setting him up. You saw a lot of early down throws, and I, I really felt like they were running people off so he could dump the ball down to the back so they can get in second and three, second and four to really be able to stay ahead of the chains. He had four touchdowns, three of those to Mercedes Lewis. Uh, those plays were a lot of times off deception, play action, things that were able to lure the second-level defenders up. He could throw it over the head, and – he didn't hurt them with one of those crazy turnovers that he typically has. If he can be efficient and effective and lean on those, those other players in the passing game to make plays, they can be a playoff team because their defense is playing as, any, playing as well as any in football. He just can't help the other team with these crazy turnovers that he's made in the past. 
All right, here's a stat for you. How about this little nugget? Uh, Joe Flacco in this game, Buck, he had 10 more passing yards than Blake Bortles had rushing yards. That's not good. 28 passing yards for Joe Flacco. Here's another one for Flacco, too. He didn't complete his first pass until the 413 mark in the second quarter. Not good. Yeah, that was gross. A gross display there. The Ravens, more injuries. I mean, that's been kind of the bugaboo for this team, but – when you look at who they're throwing the football to, there's just nothing to get you excited. There's nobody on that team that you circle and say, uh-oh, we got a deal about him. Uh, it's it's an issue for them. And then, look, they just got caught up in some matchups down the field. Tony Jefferson is a great player, but that's just – he's given up so much size when you split out Mercedes Lewis down there in the red zone. Not much you can do. But, uh, by the way, qu- real quick, Buck, your thoughts on the fake punt by the Jags up, I think, 37 nothing. <laughs> Hey, it was the third quarter. We're still playing. You still got to coach our team. Uh, we had spotted something. Found the Jacksonville Jag- Jaguars. I'm a special teams coach. We spotted something. We put an automatic on. They didn't. They didn't cover it. So we have to do it. I mean, I know Harbor and those guys are mad, but hey, we we have to continue to work our game plan. We were staying true to the game plan, and so I know it kind of ruffles some feathers. But my job is to coach my team. I can't coach my team and your team. So I think they need to prepare better. And it also helps that they're not in division. They don't necessarily have to see those guys twice a year. Yeah, no, year. no question. But let's uh, let, let's roll through these last three here, Buck, and get moving. Uh, I wrote down NFC playoff preview, Detroit and Atlanta. I don't know if that's going to be in the in the championship game, but I get a good sense that we're going to see both those teams uh, get another crack at each other in a wild finish in this game. Uh, Detroit completes a ball. Um, and gets down. We thought they'd scored and won the game. Turned out he didn't. Uh, take that just a little bit short, and then they had the bizarre 10-second runoff. Game's over. So I'm sure every talk show is going to jump into that and debate the merits of that rule. Um, I don't want to do that, Buck. I just thought, let's appreciate this for what it was. I thought the Lions showed up and gave the gave the Falcons a heck of a game, and I think both these teams are, are, are two of the best teams in the NFC. I agree. I agree. The way both teams are playing, I, I, I believe that the Atlanta Falcons are definitely going to make another run uh, at the Super Bowl based on the way their personnel is, based on how hungry they are, and the way that they've been playing. But the Detroit Lions are a legitimate squad that we have to talk about. Offensively, Matthew Stafford continues to play at an MVP level, uh, led them back, and really I thought it was another one of his epic fourth-quarter comebacks. Uh, it was nullified, but the way that he led them down the field in that two-minute situation continues to affirm that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the business. Defensively, they did a good job of kind of getting and keeping their eyes on the Falcons' explosive playmakers. I know Julio Jones had 91 yards, but they made him earn every yard, and they didn't necessarily concede the big play. And when you're playing the Atlanta Falcons, you can't give up the big play, the play that's over top. For the most part, they did a good job of doing that, and that gives them a chance to be one of those teams that it, uh, not only enters the tournament, but is one of those teams that could possibly be a Final Four team. How big of a confidence yeah. booster is it for that young defense, for the Falcons, to have two basically walk off red zone stops early in this this early in the season yeah that was a tough one though i mean that was that was that was uh, that was an inch uh they got out of there with this one in, in stafford they did it with the bears too both of them leading a furious furious comeback there so look they they got the wins that's all that matters there i think we've only got two undefeated teams right falcons and chiefs so uh they're hanging on by a thin thread there but they got the job done at the end when they had to um, yeah, we'll see confidence-wise for that team. I think uh, that's not an issue for them. That's a confident bunch, and, and they won a lot of ball games, so they're they're rolling. I think we see that matchup again going forward in the playoffs. Buck, I wrote down Titans more physical than Seattle. I don't know if that's much of a debate. 
Uh, no, I don't think that's much of a debate. I think the big thing for the Tennessee Titans, we talked about it the very, very first week. For whatever reason, it seemed like they were out of sorts. They were fascinated by trying to make Marcus Mariota into this passer. We have seen when they get back to the recipe, and the recipe for them is to run it right down your throat, have some select complimentary passes with Marcus Mariota, allow him to use his legs occasionally. But really, major in the running game, minor in the passing game, when they do that, they are a tough out. And you're right. They jammed it right down the Seattle Seahawks' throat, and there was nothing that they could do about it. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, look, the, the Seahawks, nice to see Russell Wilson get back going uh, through the air and Doug Baldwin get back on track. And, man, alive. I just They can't run the ball. DJ, Ugh, they cannot run good. the ball. They can't no. run the ball. This is a team that is built on the defense, the running game, and then Russ making plays. Russ throwing 50 times? is not a recipe for success. They have to be able to run the ball so they can shorten the game, control the clock, and not expose their defense to what they were exposed to today. The, they, the, they just have to get it the done. The Titans beat the Seahawks at their own game today, basically, yeah. pounding, pounding yeah. the rock the and playing version. good defense. Right. Yeah, better, better version, better version. And so, look, yeah, they've got some issues there, one and two Seattle, and, and the division that's really up in the air when you look at it with, with what's going on there, the Rams. Watch out for the Rams. They're leading the league in uh, scoring right now. So uh, it's going to be interesting there in the NFC West. Final takeaway, Buck, um, I wrote down Geronimo, exclamation point. Uh, Geronimo Allison, a guy who I did, did some recon, went back and, and looked it up. Uh, I knew we had talked about him in the run-up to that draft class, Toronto Allison coming out of Illinois, I believe he's undrafted for the Packers. Big game, six for a buck twenty-two. But, uh, I stopped pumping his name. I pumped an East-West Shrine game. And oh, he killed it. Came up. Look what came up. A little article by a man named Bucky Brooks saying, without question, the best player in this game this year is Geronimo Allison. Nicely done, Buck. Ooh, how about that? Hey, Here we go, Bucky. If you go back and, and, and really think about it, he was awesome that week of practice. Uh, the way that he dominated the East-West game, it was uh, remarkable to watch. He created a little buzz. In fact, I came away after that and watching tape. I thought he'd be maybe a, a fifth-round pick. I am yeah, I gave him a good grade. Yeah, I am surprised that he wasn't drafted. But, man, he has come on like game busters for the Green Bay Packers. They're using him. He's uh Pretty good player. They got a little something. They got a little something there. But by the way, the one, you were talking to me off the air about the difference that you saw in the Bengals' offense. Didn't get the win in this one, but there were some good signs for that football team. Great signs for that that team. They they couldn't get it done. They had everything right there for them. A couple things that I noticed in this offense: uh, they were more creative in terms of their pre-snap movement and shifts. They were quicker, had a better tempo. Um, the ball came out quick from Andy Dalton's hands. I felt like they really made a concerted effort to get the ball out of his hands, let him get comfortable, let him get some easy layups, let him see the ball go through the basket, and then expand after that. A.J. Green was also a guy that was featured. Uh, Ten catches, saw him kind of reemerge as the number one. And then there's no doubt in my mind, Joe Mixon is going to be the go-to back for them. His size, his toughness, his ability to run and catch the ball out the backfield – he is going to be a focal point of this offense. And even though they walk out with an L, I think they're positioned to really bounce right back. No question. I went back and looked up my Geronimo Allison notes here, Buck. I gave him a 61, which is a starter grade, which is a third third round grade. Um, this is what got him. 603 to 196, ran 467 at the combine. So I thought he played much faster than 467, but that's what he ran. And my notes on him, uh, off the tape, he was on the single side a lot there at Illinois. 
Uh, he weave and set up defenders, runs on his toes. He's sleek, uh, very fluid, does a nice job of working back downhill. I'll tell you what, in that, in that long pass to, uh, to set up the game-winning uh, field goal, he looked a lot faster than 4-6-7, played a lot faster than 4-6-7, I can tell you that much. He absolutely did. I remember talking to the coaches at the East-West. They talked about – I mean, they talked about that. They talked about his ability to make plays and do those kind of things. And when I went up to training camp, uh, Mike McCarthy was really excited about all the wide receivers that he had. But he pointed to Geronimo Allison because he is built like they traditionally have him built. He's long. He's lean. Um, he makes plays in that offense, and he just has a knack for getting open. And he has also developed some chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers trusts him. That is why you see the ball head in his direction. I got to do something here because we're going to hear from some folks. Because look, in our ten takeaways, we're not going to be able to get into every single game, uh, but those are the highlights we wanted to hit. So just because I know these fan bases are going to come, uh, let me just get this out of the way real quick here. Uh, congratulations to the Saints on your on your first win of the season, dominating performance against the Carolina Panthers. Well done, New York Jets. We've had some fun at your expense. It was a great performance. You were efficient. You shut down Jay Cutler and company. Congratulations on your first win of the year. Indianapolis Colts bad outfit but you got the brownies <laughs> took care of business and a very entertaining game between two really bad football teams you got your first one of the year as well buffalo bills shockingly two and one sitting right now with a big win maybe we should give them let's you know let's give them a little bit of love here in buffalo buck they this is a bonus here what they did to the denver broncos but uh the broncos coming off that big emotional win and uh going across the country this could be a little bit of a trap game for them and, and hats off to buffalo they got it done really without much of a, a run game, which is normally their bread and butter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge, huge win. I mean, like, uh, setting themselves up. It was a trap game for the Broncos coming off that emotional win. Everyone patting them on the back all week, telling them how good they were. They're back. They're back to being on top. And the Buffalo Bills were just kind of laying in the cup, waiting. And what Sean McDermott has assembled is a bunch of guys that are kind of blue-collar workers, and they go to work, and they're beginning to really kind of buy into what he's teaching. And so we saw that. This defense is coming on. E.J. Gaines with a pick. Davis White with a big interception. So, hey, hats off to them. Impressive win. Uh, it was a team that I would say is on the rise. I don't expect them to win a bunch of games this year, but they certainly are playing hard, and that always gives them a chance to win a game. they got a million draft picks next year, so they'll have an opportunity to help their football team. Uh, when we get to the spring, tell you what, guys, we had some technical difficulties tonight. We uh, we normally have our little our little Skype uh, set up here. It, it faltered. We had to rebound. Had to get me on a on a cell phone. And uh, Bucky's had drive back into the studio. I'll tell you what, this is a team effort. I'm proud of the, I'm proud of the bunch here, Sully. Uh, appreciate your patience of, of putting this thing together. And yeah, no doubt. I thought we got another another solid episode here on a, a little uh, Sunday night special. Absolutely, another another absolute banger of a podcast, as uh, Dan Hanses would say. Not to not to. Oh, yeah, that, let's but. not let's not uh, let's not ever mention his name or ever use any words that he uses. But, uh, but uh, nonetheless. It was uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, look, I tell you what, we don't have to wait long. Back in the studio on Tuesday, and we'll uh, we'll get another one going. Lots of fun college football talk to get into. Bucky had a great week. Spoiler alert: um, he's back in the mix. My picks. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the App State loss. I don't want to do that to you guys right now. No, uh, but that was painful. Uh, yeah, very painful. There's a story that goes along with it too. It's not good. Oh no. Uh, anyways, let's uh, let's get out of here, man. Let's go to bed. It's late, but we want to get this uh, this pod in. Appreciate everybody checking it out. Appreciate everybody telling a friend, leaving a review for us on iTunes as well. A couple more pods coming your way this week. Three weeks. That's what we're doing now. Move the Sticks podcast presented by the Ford F Series. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.